0: Children are going out. If you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going today. Spent a couple weeks uh, getting to that point. I'm just going to do a very quick review of Simon Peter's life. And uh, I'd like to look at Simon Peter's life in three acts. Three acts. Act 1 at the first meeting... With Jesus, he's given a nickname, Cephas, meaning a stone. After Jesus performs the miracle of fishes caught on their boat, he forsakes everything and he follows Jesus. He learns many things from Jesus and his ways. Peter performs miracles by the power given to him by Jesus. He walks on water. He pulls a coin out of a fish's mouth in obedience to Jesus' foreknowledge. He sees Jesus perform many miracles. He sees Jesus transfigured before him. He sees Moses and Elias and hears the voice of God confirming Jesus as the Son of God. He is called blessed by Jesus because he proclaims Jesus as the Son of God because God had revealed it to him. Now, let's look at Acts 2. Of Peter. Yet Peter also hears Jesus call him Satan because of his words that deny Jesus going to the cross. Peter under-responds and then over responds to Jesus' washing of the feet. He is told by Jesus that Satan wishes to sift him as wheat, but when converted, strengthen the brethren. He claims that he would never leave Jesus, but he is told he will deny Jesus three times before the morning comes. Peter, at the time of Jesus' passion of prayer before the crucifixion, he falls asleep at least twice, maybe three times. Peter cuts off the high servant's ear and is rebuked by Jesus. And this is all in a very short period of time here. Peter forsakes Jesus and denies Him three times. And at the last denial at the cock crowing, Jesus looks him in the eye. Jesus is resurrected. His body is removed from the tomb, but Peter is unbelieving, bewildered, and fearful of the Jews. Act 3 of Peter's life. Jesus meets Peter after the resurrection. I believe this is where he is converted, that Jesus was talking about. And to be a strength to the brethren. Peter sees Jesus on three separate occasions before his final ascension. The last time on a fishing trip when Jesus tells him and other disciples to cast the net on the right side and they have a great multitude of fishes. At the shore Jesus challenges Peter on his love for him three repetitive times. Jesus tells Peter that if he loves him to feed his lambs and sheep three times. Peter takes the lead at the day of Pentecost and by the power of the Holy Spirit preaches. 3,000 are saved, then again 5,000 are saved through his preaching. His life is a series of preaching and persecution. That's the book of Acts. Peter, a devout Jew, is taught that salvation is to the Jew and Gentile and there is no difference or respecter of persons to God. So act one is an excitement, a zeal. It begins a birth of Peter's fleshly vision. Act 2 is the death of the vision, God correcting the flesh. Act 3, the birth of God's vision in obedience and power of the Holy Spirit. Or we might say it in another way, God's three acts in Peter's life. And hopefully, you'll see this. It's true in your life. Act 1 is what God did for me. We get excited. We have zeal. And then we proceed to try to do what I can do for God. And then Act 3, God teaches us what God can do through me. With the background uh, set of Peter's life, now the spiritual mature Peter speaks to the church in the epistles of First and 2 Peter. It is by inspiration of God That Peter writes, what is confirmed by the earthly church to be Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Father, as we look at 1 Peter this morning, may you speak. May I be the one that you work through. May it not be my words. May it be your words. May it be your Holy Spirit. And may it be the Holy Spirit in the one who hears this. That a mighty work is done. And Father, I'm encouraged today, just already through the Sunday school, Lord, and the lessons there, and how everything just goes together. And um, Lord, we, we need to hear your voice. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get started, Brother Mike said something about you know, how our life is, and you're going to see this through 1 Peter. Sometimes we're on a mountaintop, sometimes we're in a valley. But there's this other interesting thought that he brought up is where you're just kind of going along. I kind of feel like that's where we're at as a church for the main part. I don't see like major things happening or or you know, difficulties where we're way down in the valley. And it's a tough position to be in. That's a hard position but we got to keep going and Peter's going to tell us how to do that. First Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Without apology, Peter does claim authority as an apostle. Makes no bones about it. The apostles didn't that didn't do that. Though called to be a strength to the brethren, he has never exalted or given special position over any other apostle, nor neither does he claim it. Peter is just an apostle with a job given to him, particularly for him as an apostle. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Strangers scattered. What does that mean, and where are those places These places are in modern-day Turkey, particularly east of the seven churches recorded in the book of Revelation. We know through the book of Revelation, especially in one church who endured uh, martyrdom, that there was much persecution in those churches. Escaping persecution... Of these, through these churches, through this area where the east meets the west, would not be a westerly route toward Rome, toward even more power. It went easterly, not westerly. There would be strangers they would be strangers to this land moving out into asian territory territory and they would be scattered by persecution persecution that peter is well acquainted with the influence of the apostle peter would seem to be eastward away from rome and there's no indication that peter was ever in rome there's no indication from the scripture um, that he went to Rome, but whereas Paul's influence carried him to Rome, it seems as if those two apostles kind of right at the meeting place of where the Byzantine area where the heartbeat of uh, of Christianity was, where the east was meeting the west, where the travel routes were, that Paul went west and it would seem like Peter uh, ministered toward the east. Verse 2, he says, before we get to verse 2, we're going to see in verse 2, Peter begins his address to these people with some very strong doctrinal speech. Kind of blows us away today, these these things of what's talked about in these areas, but he makes no bones about it, and I believe he's saying we, we shouldn't make no bones about it. He brings in the terms election, foreknowledge, sanctification of the Spirit, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Right off the bat. He says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. It seems that Peter, without apology, without explanation, without And with, I would say, complete simplicity, Peter states God's position concerning the elect. The elect, if you are saved, you are the elect. God foreknew who would be saved before we, by our own free will, accepted Christ as Savior. God already knew it. Jesus, in John chapter 17, in his prayer for the disciples, said, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Peter was well aware of the foreknowledge of God. From the time he was called and given a nickname right off the bat that he would live up to, to the time that he would die, just as Jesus said how he would die, he realized that God already knew everything beforehand. When he got in trouble is when he tried to tell Jesus something different than what God already said would happen. That's where he got into trouble. Have you ever watched a rerun of a ball game or a movie that you have seen? You already know the outcome and you can tell someone exactly what would happen next. Don't you just love it when people tell you the whole movie before you experience it for yourself? We are experiencing life in real time, making decisions every moment that make differences in the course of life. That's the realm we live in. As Brother Mike Reeder was saying, you know, God does not live in this realm of time like we do. To God, life is seen as a rerun, everything known, perfected. And accepted of God. He is just. He is merciful. He's all good. He's in all control, already knowing what decisions uh, we, by our own free will, as we live in this time, will make. But we live in this time. We're unable to explain how high God is. I keep learning that. I know these things, but realizing them and putting them into your life and understanding it and making a part of your life is, is a little bit different. David expounded this thought in Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting, and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Here's what he says. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. I'll tell you what, when you start talking to people, and and it's going to get down to a point where uh, God created something from nothing. It's just what is worth. I can't explain it. It is God. He's too high. That's what I believe. It stops there. You'll have to stop there. The evolutionists will have to stop at, well, they can't stop. Their idea is to keep going. They got to put more billions of years and make it a smaller amount. But when you say, where did that small amount come from? Well, from a smaller amount we're learning. It's a constant learning, never getting anywhere, never coming to anything. It's two two beliefs. Peter describes the work of God the Father in salvation. He also describes the work of salvation through Christ, the true sacrifice once for all by the sprinkling of His blood upon the mercy seat of God in heaven. Now listen to this. Hebrews 9, 22, "...and almost all things by the law are purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission." There is no remission. "...it was therefore necessary that the pattern of the things in heaven," the patterns, okay, "...should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these." Talking about going to the temple and offering sacrifices. Then in heaven there's something better. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands. Which are the figures of the true. When he was resurrected, it says, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. I believe there was the mercy seat, the true mercy seat. I believe Jesus, when he was resurrected, before he was touched, went up and placed his own blood upon the mercy seat. Once for all. Peter also references the Holy Spirit in his address, completing the exaltation of the Trinity of God. There is sanctification of the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit living within us, signifying our salvation and the work of the Spirit inside us, conforming us to the image of Christ. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's an order here. I think if you were going to look at 1 Peter in this first chapter, he's going to set some foundations that really all the rest of his epistles are going to be built upon. They're just going to be more detailed. Peter here gives more foundational doctrine that God saved us according to His abundant mercy. It means it's undeserved, unmerited, and unattainable by works. There's nothing we can do. It's all by God's mercy that He saved us. He uses the words begotten again. Alive, once before sin, Adam and Eve, But also signifying that we were born dead in our sins, but we were born again as we are saved, begotten again, saved from our dead works with a live hope assured of the hope of heaven. Peter fails not to give the proof where the born-again believer in Christ is going. Where their Savior goes, so shall they, how? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He brings out the resurrection. These are important. These are foundations He is setting that are so vitally important. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I would, have you, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, which, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him? The resurrection is sure. (laughs) I believe it is one of the three witnesses that will condemn people to hell for unbelievers. Acts 1.3, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I believe the other two witnesses against unregenerated mankind is the creation itself that speaks and screams out. The heavens declare the glory of God and the Word of God. There's no book, there's no way, no no person can even come close to any kind of literary work that's anything like the Word of God. It's a miracle. Verse 4, it says, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter very clearly explains what is the finish line of the Christian race. Specifically, that it applies to all Christians. An inheritance incorruptible. Peter later defines corruptible, whereby given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He also says, undefiled. Titus 1.15, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. He said it does not fade away, it is eternal. James 1.11 For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Then he says, reserved for you in heaven. Now you need to listen to these things. This is the power of that we have. He's going to tell us here what we're going to be looking at. He tells a Christian to remember they have a reservation. You know, I've had reservations fail here on earth. Anybody else? You know, I had a reservation. I don't see you, sir. I'm sorry. You know, those kind of things. Uh, God cannot fail. Your reservation is secure. He wants you to know that. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed, listen what he says, in the last time. This is a common theme that Peter's telling us and that you're going to see. It's always looking to the end. It is the power of God in this statement that keeps our salvation. Thank God for that. I'm no more able to gain salvation than I am to keep it. God does that. It's the God who saves us and who keeps us. Number two, Peter, in this this fifth verse here, gives us that sobering truth. The revealing of our salvation is yet to come. Being saved does not put heaven on earth for us. It does put the anticipation, our looking forward of heaven, that we can hold in our hearts. Peter first builds up the assurances from God here in the Scriptures because he knows what comes in the Christian life. And this is the second time you're going to hear it today. Victories are followed by persecution. Growing in the Lord is painful. Peter is edifying the believers, reminding us to keep our eyes on the promises of God and the finish line as we run this race. You know, we had a scripture concerning David, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. This is Peter's version of that. He's going to tell us that you're going to have to encourage yourself in the promises and the things that are to come of the Lord. That's going to be important. You're going to have to do that. He says in verse 6 and 7, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, you are in heaviness through what? Manifold temptations. Manifold. Hey, we work with manifolds at work. It means a lot of, a lot of little holes in one spot. That the trial of your faith, listen to what he's saying. That this, these things that come upon us are trials of our faith. They're not bad things that happen to us. They may feel bad. It's as though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than, a, than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I've heard a couple stories about preaching. <laughs> been, been reading about it, trying to get some, some help. One preacher said, who has preached a long time, he said, "Number one, your first 200 messages are going to be going to stink." That's real encouraging, isn't it? I think I'm well beyond that, and I think they still stink a lot. And there's also a story of a preacher who... He was a mature preacher and his wife was with him and, and went to hear a young preacher and, and he was dynamic and really good. And his wife was saying to the preacher, he said, Yeah, he's really good, isn't he? You know, they're encouraged, you know. Here's a young young person that's coming up and really preaching. And he's kind of like, eh. He says, What do you mean? He said, Well once he's once things go all wrong for him, he said, He's good. He said, but until everything goes wrong in his life, once that happens, then he'll be a great preacher. This preacher, as he grew up, had a lot of difficult things that happened. He lost a child. They went back to hear him preach. They said, now he's a great preacher. Difficulties referred to as going through the fire are necessary. Hey, just accept it. These are necessary in the Christian's life. Peter also says the word might. Might be found under the praise. Hey, listen to that. That means how you go through it might give praise and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it says at the appearing, of Jesus Christ. You know, we're looking for this here many times. Peter's trying to tell us it's not here, it will be there. He, we need to understand it's going to be so good. We can't accept it here. We just got to keep that in our sights. We are to live for what lays ahead, and there is the thought that we should look at trials here as opportunities to please Jesus. That's to be our attitude. Verse 8 and 9. Whom having not seen, ye love. in whom though now ye see him not. Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'll tell you what, as you start to read these the songs that come to mind that we should be singing. Receiving the end of your faith. Here it is. Even the salvation of your souls. Again. Peter keeps our heart and mind focused on the end. Living by faith, not focusing on the temporal, but the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, looking past the difficulty of the temporal, focused on the eternal. Now you say, he was speaking to people who were severely being persecuted, and this was the message for him. And you think, well, you know... you. I'll just tell you we're not persecuted that much and maybe a lot of it's our fault because we just don't push the button, we don't talk about Christ enough. But I tell you what, this message is pertinent to us. It's a little easier for them to see cuz they're hot. They know what hot and cold is. So we're falling into that area of lukewarm. And we need to be careful of that. He says in verse 10 through 12, of which salvation the prophets had inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and that glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, that I have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now That's an interesting statement. I don't even know how to address uh, that at this point, the, that the angels desire to look into. But he's saying, listen, listen, folks. All those prophecies wasn't for them. That was all done for you, even back then. He is really building the Christian faith up, understanding how big, how full, how wonderful it is. He's putting perspective of the relativity of the prophecies of old, how those were for our benefit. Peter ties together the strength of the Old Testament with the New, adding more strength to our faith. Peter now turns to exhortation. He begins with the word, wherefore. He is basically saying, because of all just what I told you about, so great a salvation, so great a God, there are things you should do. Now he's going to tell you what you should do. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, it's, it's, when this is going to come, he's talking about here and now how we should live knowing that Christ is coming again. Peter tells us that we need to gird up the loins of our mind. Girding your loins, your loins is your hips. It's putting on clothing. It has the connotation of going out to war. Not girding yourself would be nakedness. Along the same lines, he says for us to be sober not drunk. Drunk with what? It's beyond just alcoholic influence. It is the cares and pleasures of this world, their temporal satisfaction, the ups and downs of circumstantial living. He concludes with what is a sober mind for the Christian. Again, he tells us to focus on the hope or that earnest expectation, that expectation of being with Christ in eternity. That's how we are to gird our minds. When we go out, when you put your clothes on, you go out. He's telling this is the clothing to put on. Now Peter turns his exhortation to our behavior. He says at, in verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written... Be ye holy, for I am holy. Holiness is separation from our former lusts and actions when we were the boss. Hey, I'll tell you, before you were saved, you were big boss, and you mouthed off how you felt like you wanted the mouth off. Whether that was real kind and you put that on, or was you, whether every other word was a cuss word, or whatever it was in between, it was you. It was you. You were the boss. But he says, not to fashion ourselves after that, but to fashion ourselves toward the word of God, who particularly refers to our conversation. You're going to notice in, in, in Peter's epistles that he often refers to our conversation. Eight times. And we'll see him as we, we go through. 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 2.12, 1 Peter 3.1, 1 Peter 3.2, 1 Peter 3.16, 2 Peter 2.7, 2 Peter 3.11. All deals with conversation. It's important. He's telling us we need to watch that. Here's some other scriptures concerning our conversation. There's the negative. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that it is in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom but by the grace of God we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to your word. That was 2 Corinthians 1.12, Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion. We have religious, stinking, religious, worthless conversation. How that beyond measure I persecute the church of God and wasted it, Paul speaking there. Ephesians 2.3, among whom also... We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And then there's some positive concerning our conversations. Philippians one twenty-seven. only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's, there's, there it is. There's our conversation. Let's read a little more. Philippians 3.20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey. It again, looking toward this, and it guides our conversation. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Hebrews 13.5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. Now, we complain about what we don't have. And that, is, that is the old man. For he has said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You've got something that things can't do for you. Hebrews 13, 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. James 3, 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Think about the conversations you have. We are working hard on Wednesdays to encourage us as believers as we get out there in the world or even within ourselves to to talk spiritually, to bring it into spiritual things, to glorify God, to give God the glory, you know, to stand out in that area. Just asking God to help us fact of the matter is we do very little of that we don't stand out like we should verse 17 he says and if you call on the father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear so he's <laughs> let me put it this way he's telling us as we live this christian life and all these difficulties we keep our minds on all these good things that are coming Just keep your mind there. Keep your mind set there. He tells us to watch how we talk and how we talk to others. But then he says, kind of like if your mind wants to wander, if it wants to sojourn somewhere, let it sojourn on this. Uh, You're going to be judged. And you need to have some fear in that. So any leftover time you have, think on that. What you do is going to be judged. Again, it's looking toward the future. But it tells us to be in fear. That's the fear of God. Verses 18 through 21. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained he uses that word just as easy as any, as by. Before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Peter reminds us of the cost of our salvation, the blood of Jesus Christ. He reminds us what we already know, okay? That our life is not in riches and our life is not in traditions. Man, there's a lot of traditions. We get happy and, about a lot of things that go on in the church and get excited, but it's not in that. It's not in things. It's not in prestige. It's not in the pleasures of this world. I think there's here a big reference to religion. The vain conversation of... You know, everybody is born... Given a religion to start with. Whatever that is. You just inherit that. Right, wrong, indifferent. And it's not the religion that's going to save you. It can never save us. Only personally receiving Christ, whose blood was shed for us, will save us. Peter says, we know this. Let our lives demonstrate that. Verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. He recognizes, he says, You group of believers, you, you, you love each other. But then he ups it up. He adds that it should be pure or truthful and also fervent or active. Verse 23 Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Peter emphasizes the importance of the Word of God working in our life. Where is That's where life is and eternal life. And finally, chapter 1 concludes with a contrast of living for the flesh and living by the Word of God. Now, this is one epistle. It just stops here. Man has put in, you know, breaks in here. It, when we get into chapter 2, it will continue on but it just kind of gives a break here. But it's a nice little breaking point because there's kind of a conclusion here. It says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. May that be said of every preacher, that it's the word of God that we're preaching unto you, but at the emphasis, it's the Word of God, okay? There's no private interpretation, folks. You can understand the Word of God like I can understand the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and when we both get it right, we'll be in unity. First Peter gives us some insight into Peter's ministry as just one of the apostles. He begins his epistle with the exaltation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He sets forth the doctrine of the deity of God and how great and how high he is. He builds our faith and standing in God. He He gives us blessed assurance to the believer. Now you know where some of that feeling came from when those songs were written. His overwhelming message is that we must keep the end in mind eternity, the promises of God, and to gird our minds around this as, this as a means to live this Christian life. He knows that our lives will be filled with difficulty. And we must live with the end in mind. It is the power whereby we can live in this present world. He then sends us out with our minds girded in the truth yet to be revealed. He tells us how to behave by being holy Set apart from the world under the obedience of God's word. Peter particularly deals with what our conversation should be. Forsaking old forms of conversation and putting on the new conversation. That of Christ and Him crucified. His shed blood. The love of God. The glory of God. How high God is. That's where conversations is to be. And he tells us if our mind is to wander anywhere, let it wander in fear with the thought we will be judged one day. Again, he emphasizes us focusing on the end of our lives and what will happen then. He tells us to remember the cost of our redemption and to live in that thought, the blood of Jesus Christ. He gives recognition of brotherly love, but tells us to make sure it's real and pure and that to stoke that fire (laughs) of love. Which he uses the word, make it sure it's pure and fervent love. Peter exalts the word of God for living, and finally, at the end of the chapter, he gives that contrast of what fleshly life is, <laughs> the old man, and what what it is, the temporal fleshly that passes away without meaning. He said, "Hey, yeah, you see grass? It grows, and I, but it's all going to just..." fade away. There's, there's no meaning. It just comes and goes. But then he can contrast that with the spiritual life, that being by living by the word of God, which brings life, meaning, and is seated eternally. So 1 Peter chapter 1 starts out in general terms. The rest of the chapters, he's going to get into some specifics. But I think you're going to find them all under one of these headings here. With heads bowed and eyes closed, pianists come into play. Peter was talking to those scattered from persecution who were going through some difficult things and told them how, how they ought to think, what they need to remember about God and His promises, what's laying ahead how to behave ourselves. And if God hasn't put His finger on something in your life, you probably weren't listening. What's important is that we acknowledge it, humble ourselves before God. He's going to have to help us just begging. For his help. We will be so... Such a better Christian. So more fulfilled if we just obey his word. Even when it brings some difficulty. Fight the good fight. Be heading to the uh, home. Anybody who wants to come, I just think we're having a few, but if you want a hot dog, you can stop over by the house. We're going to make a quick stop there and then then head over to the home early today, They're expecting us there at, at one o'clock. So if, if you want to go, just like I said, we got a hot dog for you. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, oh, we got so much ahead of us. May we take to heart Peter's words. Though we may not be going through persecution, we're suffering something much worse, and that's being lukewarm. Help us to get excited, fired up about God. Help our conversation to be where it needs to be. Help us to be a witness. Help us to live in such a great salvation and such a great, wonderful God. Just like David, there's going to be times where we're just going to have to encourage ourselves with this to get through. So Father, I just pray for each family here. May you bless them today. In Jesus' name, amen.